What's going on, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the History of Birdland podcast. I am your host, Andy Snakowski, better known as Andy Snacks. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Snacks, A-N-D-Y-S-N-A-K-S. I have to apologize right off the bat because if you hear it in my voice a little bit, it's that time of year. Like, this is the best time of year because baseball is back, the Orioles are playing well, but it's also the worst time of year because for people like me, And I'm sure a lot of other people who are listening, it's allergy season. So you go outside, your cars are covered in pollen. You can't go outside for more than 10 minutes without sneezing your head off. So if you hear a little bit in my voice, I'm a little stuffed up, but I want to get this episode out because I've been slacking a little bit. So I really wanted to get this episode out. So I hope you enjoy it. Episode number 14, like I said in my last uh, show, it's the 1993 All-Star Game. The one, obviously, that the Orioles hosted. Oriole Park at Camden Yards uh, played its first official game in April of 1992, and it didn't take long for Major League Baseball to want to say, hey, this is a gorgeous ballpark. You know what you guys deserve? An all-star game. So it wasn't soon after that that in July of 93, Oriole Park at Camden Yards would host the all-star game. The game actually took place on July 13th. But before we get to that, let's start where all All All-Star Game festivities begin, and that's the Home Run Derby the day before. So back in 1993, the Home Run Derby was very simple. It wasn't a single elimination tournament, guy against guy, whatever. It was four players from each league, one round, 10 outs, no time limit, and whoever had the highest home run total would win the competition. Pretty simple, right? So the eight participants, first for the National League, Barry Bonds of the San Francisco Giants, Bobby Bonilla of the New York Mets, David Justice of the Atlanta Braves, and Mike Piazza of the L.A. Dodgers. And for the American League, Ken Griffey Jr. of the Seattle Mariners, Juan Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers, Cecil Fielder of the Detroit Tigers, and Albert Bell of the Cleveland Indians. Also worth a mention that back in 1993, for you to be in the home run derby, you had to also be selected to the all-star game unlike now because remember a few years back when Trey Mancini was a part of the home run derby he actually wasn't in the all-star game he wasn't selected didn't get voted in but he was picked to participate in the home run derby and he was allowed to do that but back then in 93 the only way you were in the home run derby is if you were playing in the all-star game the night the night after so a little different but As for the Derby goes, uh, Juan Gonzalez and Ken Griffey Jr., they would tie each other for seven home runs in that that one round. So they had to go to a second round, and then they tied each other again. They hit hit seven and seven in the first round, four and four in the second round, and then the third round, I think it was just a swing off because Juan Gonzalez won one nothing. Uh, So so there you go. Juan Gonzalez, he won the 1993 home run Derby, but he wasn't the story of the 1993 Home Run Derby because Ken Griffey Jr. decided to do this. Oh, holy cow. That's four and a half. That may have hit the warehouse and they announced it did. That may have damaged the warehouse. Ken, you said you couldn't hit the roof, the warehouse, but you did. You got all of that one, eh? Uh, yeah, wind blow. 
I wasn't thinking about it. I was just trying to get it up and out. No player before that home run derby or since that home run derby has hit the warehouse in any kind of competition, whether it be a home run derby, a college game, because they've had some college baseball games at Oriole Park, a regular season game. Nobody has ever hit the warehouse other than Ken Griffey Jr., which kind of shows just how spectacular of an achievement that was to hit the home to hit the warehouse at the home run derby and you can you go to Oriole Park today you'll see that plaque on one of the pillars of where Ken Griffey hit the warehouse so now let's go into the game the 1993 all-star game again like I said was held on July 13th 1993 this was not the first time that the Midsummer Classic was actually held in Baltimore. The first Major League Baseball All-Star game was, that came to Baltimore was in 1958 at the Old Memorial Stadium. The American League would win that game 4-3. to three. So this is the second time that the Major League Baseball All-Star game was in Baltimore. Obviously, first time at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. All right, let's take a look at the game now. First, the starting lineups uh, for the National League. They were managed by Bobby Cox of the defending National League champion Atlanta Braves. For the National League, Marquise Grissom led off, played center field, and uh, representing the Expos, the Montreal Expos. Barry Bonds batting second, uh, representing the Giants, playing left field. Gary Sheffield batting third, representing the Florida Marlins and playing third base. Batting fourth, John Cruck, representing the Philadelphia Phillies and playing first base. Batting fifth, Barry Larkin, representing the Cincinnati Reds and playing shortstop. Batting sixth, Mark Grace, representing the Chicago Cubs and playing DH. Batting seventh, David Justice, representing the Atlanta Braves and playing right field. Batting eighth, Darren Dalton, representing the Philadelphia Phillies and catching. And batting ninth, Ryan Sandberg, representing the Chicago Cubs and playing second base. Starting pitcher for the National League from the Philadelphia Phillies, Terry Mulholland. Now on to the hometown or home American League. They were managed by Cito Gaston, the uh, defending world champion. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming most people know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're a baseball fan. I'm assuming you're a baseball fan and you're an Orioles fan. But the managers of the All-Star game are the two pennant winners from the previous year. So in 1992, the World Series were the Braves and the Blue Jays. So those two managers are the are the managers of the 93 All-Star Game. So Cito Gaston, he's the manager for the American League. And uh, his uh, his American League roster is littered with his guys because they are the defending world champions. So Robbie Alomar leads off representing the Blue Jays and, and playing second base. Batting second, Paul Molitor also representing the Toronto Blue Jays and DHing, batting third, Ken Griffey Jr. representing the Seattle Mariners and playing center field, batting fourth, Joe Carter representing the Toronto Blue Jays and and playing right field, batting fifth, John Allerud representing the Toronto Blue Jays and playing first base, batting sixth, Kirby Puckett representing the Minnesota Twins and playing left field, batting seventh, the lone Oriole in the starting lineup. Cal Ripken Jr., obviously representing the Orioles, playing shortstop. Batting eighth, Wade Boggs, representing the New York Yankees and playing third base. And batting ninth, Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez, 
representing the Texas Rangers and catching starting pitcher for the American League this night, Mark Langston of the California Angels. I remember vividly watching this game as a kid. I guess 1993, I would have been, what, seven years old when this game was happening. And just the amount of booze that the Orioles fans were raining down on the Blue Jays. And I don't know if that was just because the Blue Jays were the top dog. You know, they were the defending world champions. I know, obviously, the Blue Jays were in the same division as the Orioles. But I never really considered the Blue Jays like a a traditional rival of the Orioles. But the boos were loud. And remember that because we're going to talk a lot about boos involving Orioles, Blue Jays, and in this game. So just remember that. So now on to the actual game. The National League wasted little time getting on the scoreboard. With one out in the top of the first inning, Barry Bonds doubled, and then right after him, Gary Sheffield would come up and become the first Florida Marlin to do anything in an all-star game because this was the expansion year, 1993, both the Colorado Rockies and the Florida Marlins became new teams in Major League Baseball, and Gary Sheffield homered and gave the National League an early 2-0 lead in the top of the first inning. The American League would strike in the bottom half of the second inning Kirby Puckett hit a solo home run to straightaway center field, and that would make the score 2-1 to one in favor of the National League. In the top of the third inning, the National League went very quickly against the hard-throwing lefty Randy Johnson, and the final out of the inning was an exciting one for Philly's first baseman, John Crook. John Crook standing himself off. Johnson has had pitches clocked at as much as 102 miles per hour in Major League play. Now that this ball uh, obviously just getting away from him, but watch the reaction of John Crook. Would you say his heart is palpitating a bit? When the second half resumes on Thursday. <laughs> Look at the next step. I don't blame John one bit on his right leg. <laughs> He bailed out again at the breaking point. He wants no part of Randy Johnson. None. No. Is it this kind of no, response? I don't think so. <laughs> you knew that was gone. John had no chance. <laughs> and Johnson works a one, two, three inning. <laughs> Watching the highlight of that, it was so obvious. After the ball went over Crux's head, he wanted no part of Randy Johnson. And it was just a fun little all-star game moment and you know back back in 1993 again you got to remember there was no interleague play so the only time you saw interactions between the american league and the national league was the all-star game and the world series so a lot of people wouldn't see randy johnson versus john crook and we got to see this and it was just a fun little moment and just kind of it kind of brought some levity to the game so i I thought that was nice. i wanted to mention it because it's something that stuck out in my head when I was watching the game as a kid, and, and I think anyone who watched that game remembers that as well. Uh, so the American League would strike again in the bottom of the third inning when Blue Jays second baseman Robbie Alomar led off the inning with a solo home run. It would tie the score at 2-2. Two to two. So after a couple quiet half innings, the American League would take control in the bottom of the fifth inning. Ivan Rodriguez led off the inning with a double, and then after a ground out by Robbie Alomar, Albert Bell would single. That would drive in Rodriguez to make it 3-2 to two American League. Ken Griffey Jr. would follow that with a single of his own. 
and drove in Albert Bell, and now it's 4-2 to two American League. And before the inning is over, Kirby Puckett doubled in Griffey, and now the American League led 5-2. to two. So a nice little fifth inning there for the American League to take the lead at 5-2. to two. National League tried to get back into the game in the top of the sixth, however. Barry Bonds would double, and it was followed by a Gary Sheffield single, so the National League had runners on the corners and nobody out. After John Crook struck out again, Barry Larkin would fly out and it would drive in a run, and the National League now trailed 5-3. to three. The momentum would be short-lived, however, for the National League as the American League struck quickly in the bottom of the sixth. After two quick outs, Carlos Baerga, he reached on an error. Albert Bell would then walk, and the American League had two on with two outs. Devon White would double, driving in Baerga. That would make it 6-3 to three for the American League. Braves pitcher John Smoltz would then throw two wild pitches to two different hitters, and on both those wild pitches, two, a run would score. And then all of a sudden it went from 6-3 to three to 8-3 to three in favor of the American League. I do remember, again, as this inning came to a close, the Orioles fans were mocking uh, the Braves pitchers because John Smoltz had just thrown those two wild pitches and Steve Avery was actually pitching in the inning before John Smoltz, and they were both Atlanta Braves pitchers. So the Orioles fans at the end of the inning were doing the tomahawk chop as kind of like mocking the Atlanta Braves. So the, or- the Orioles fans were having a little bit of fun here in the All-Star game. In the bottom of the seventh inning, the American League would add another run, this one on a Terry Steinbach double. He played for the Oakland Athletics at the time. Ending the scoring for both teams, and the American League led 9-3. to On to the top of the ninth inning, and this is noteworthy because of everything happening off the field. So, American League manager and Blue Jays manager Cito Gaston brought in his pitcher to pitch the ninth inning, Blue Jay Dwayne Ward. At the same time, Baltimore Orioles starter Mike Messina began throwing in the bullpen, and the Orioles fans obviously started to become more upset on why their guy, Messina wasn't being used. The Orioles only had two All-Stars in the game, and Messina was hoping to get in, obviously, in front of his hometown fans. Messina would throw in the bullpen the entire ninth inning. Gaston never made the call. Dwayne Ward would finish the inning, and it, be- and it came over a chorus of boos. So an American League team in an American League ballpark won and were booed because they weren't using Mike Messina, the only other Oriole in the game. There was only two Orioles selected to this roster. Cal Ripken got in by uh, votes. He was voted in, and Messina was selected as a reserve. I found this article that was written in 2018. It's Sportsnet. It's a, a publication in Toronto, and it was written by David Singh, and it was done 25 years after the incident and he interviewed pat henkin who at the time was a pitcher for the toronto blue jays so this is directly from that article the american league skipper also henkin's bench boss with the toronto blue jays summoned the right-hander along with fellow 24 year old mike messina into his office at camden yards and delivered a somber message you guys are young you're going to come back to another all-star game henkin recalls I'm not going to pitch either one of you today. I'm going to hold you guys off and see if we go into extra innings. Messina, a starting pitcher for the hometown Baltimore Orioles, made his first all-star appearance that the previous year, pitching an inning of scoreless relief. 
but this was Henkin's first trip to the Midsummer Classic. This is a quote from Pat Henkin. I remember leaving his office and saying to myself, come back to another one. Have you lost your mind? And he remembers with a laugh. This is a quote from Henkin in this uh, Sportsnet piece by David Singh back in 2018. We were sitting in the bullpen and he got up to start throwing and he said he wanted to throw a side session, says Henkin. Looking back, I'm not so sure. He was trying to just throw a side or was he trying to send a subliminal message to Cito saying, hey, man, how come you're not going to pitch me in my home park? I'm not really sure. He chose the ninth inning in his home ballpark. I think it was bad timing on his part. The positioning of the left center field bullpen ensured fans were relatively close to the relief core. Henkin couldn't hear what they were specifically yelling because any words were drowned out by low, steady roar that escalated once Messina began throwing. At first, I didn't think much of it, Henkin says. And then the crowd reacts, and you now realize, oh boy, the crowd's chanting going crazy to get him in the game. You sit there and you try to absorb it all in and you go, man, was he doing it on purpose or did he not think anything of it? Until I found this article, I didn't realize that was the story. Apparently, Cito Gaston went to Mike Messina before the game and said, I'm not going to use you. If we go into extra innings, I need you for that. And I guess as the game is becoming a blowout, Messina thought, well, why not just use me anyway? And why not just start pitching in the bullpen and get the fans behind me? I mean, if you really think about it, is it kind of a dick move by Mike Messina? If he was told at the beginning of the day, like, look, I'm only going to use you if we're going into extra innings. And then he takes that information and then throws a side session in the ninth inning and the fans go crazy. They start booing. It's kind of a dick move, but it's also kind of a brilliant move because you get the fans more on your side. They hate the Blue Jays even more as the fans. It's a brilliant move. But also, if you're Cito Gaston, like, I understand you had a game plan, and I understand that you had to hold some pitchers back because you had to make sure you had some guys ready for extra innings if possible. And if that was going to happen, but also how many blue Jays played in this game? You had four in the starting lineup. You had a couple pitchers. You had so many guys of your guys that were playing in this game. The Orioles only had two guys, Cal Ripken and Mike Messina. Cal Ripken got in because he was voted in. There was no reason, you know, change it up a bit and say, you know what? We're in Oriole park at Camden yards. Mike Messina, he's in front of his hometown fans. Let him pitch the ninth inning. What, what, would that, what was that going to hurt? So I understand Mike Messina doing it and it kind of being like a douchebag kind of move because he was told he wasn't going to be used. But also, like as the game's going on and as the game's becoming a blowout, what does it hurt to put in Mike Messina in front of his hometown fans? So I think, it, I think honestly, it was handled poorly by both. I think it was handled poorly by Mike Messina because he didn't have to get up in front and show up his manager and get the fans to boo him and, and get the fans to turn on the game. He didn't have to do that. But Cito Gaston also could have been like, you know what? The flow of the game has changed. This game obviously isn't going into extra innings unless something crazy happens. So you know what? Why not just let Messina pitch in front of his hometown fans and you wouldn't have gotten the boos? 
but that's like the big memory of that game even though the American League won 9 to 3 and it was a it was a fun game at certain points more people remember the the rift between Mike Messina and Cito Gaston at the end of the game and that's unfortunate but there you go the 1993 Major League Baseball All-Star game that was held at Oriole Park in Camden Yards it's kind of crazy to think that Oriole Park has not gotten another All-Star game since this you know it's one of the one of the most gorgeous parks in all of baseball, hell, in all of sports. And for them to get one all-star game back in 1993, and here we are 30 years later, and they still don't have another, where you see other ball, like uh, Safeco Field in Seattle. They had an all-star game in 2001. They're having another one this year. So it's a much newer ballpark getting all-star games multiples before Oriole Park. It's just weird. But I hope you enjoyed the episode, the 1993 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Again, the socials, Andy Snacks, A-N-D-Y-S-N-A-K-S, at Birdland History on the show Twitter page. Historyofbirdland at gmail.com is the email. Also, next week's show, I'm going to do a little bit different of an episode, and it's going to be a history of Birdland, but it's going to be kind of my history, and I'm going to go, I'm going to recap the game the very first Oriole game I attended. I, I don't know why it came to me, but I thought, and I, and I hope it triggers some response in all of you guys who listen and you remembering your first game and, and why you fell in love with this team called the Baltimore Orioles. So next week's show, I'm going to talk about the very first game I attended, which was in 1995. I was nine years old. First Oriole game I ever went to. And it was it was kind of a, Kind of a weird ending, like a game that you you kind of ending you don't see that often, but I'll wait until next week. So again, thanks for listening. I appreciate I I appreciate your patience because I'm sure my voice doesn't sound too great. I'm a little stuffed up. I want to give you guys these episodes. So thanks again for listening. And next week again, I'm gonna talk about my very first game I attended at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So thanks for listening again. This has been the History of Birdland podcast. I'm Andy Snacks.